You're listening to the My NFT Journey podcast. Each week our host Andy Storch will share his journey and newly found passion for non-fungible tokens. Welcome to My NFT Journey. I am your host Andy Storch and this is a show where I share my NFT journey as well as the journeys of others to help you along your NFT journey. And of course, we always want to share lessons learned along the way. Today I am joined by two guests. Frank Privé and Rohit Gandhi from NFT ARC, which stands for Access and Revenue Control. And they are trying to change the NFT game for merchants. ARC is an e-commerce application for NFT creators that makes it so companies can sell NFTs from their own website. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, good yeah. to have you on. I'm excited to talk to you about the, the project and the company that you're building, but I always like to start with a little bit of the NFT journey because this space is so new, right? And it's moving very fast. We've got all kinds of companies coming in and starting up and millions and billions of dollars coming in, but it's also kind of a space that we've all found within the last you know couple of years relatively, right? So Rohit, what does your journey look like to get to Web3 and NFTs? When did you, when did you come into this space? Well, so uh, I mean, in crypto, uh, in Web3, well, I mean, it was not called Web3 back then, but crypto, it started in 2010 mm. when I read an article about this paper that this guy called Satoshi wrote. And I got really intrigued, right? And uh, along with that article, there was a small piece of code which you could run by yourself, mm-hmm. uh, which could quote unquote mint these tokens, crypto tokens. Yeah. So I used to work at Sears that time and I was a manager. So I was spent all day in the meetings, but I was really intrigued and I was engineering manager, right? And I still wanted to, I was still into code. So I just ran this code on one of our servers here in Redwood Shores. And and by the time my meeting was over uh, one and a half hours, it had minted 17 Bitcoins. Hmm. At that time, you could not even buy Bitcoins. There was no like monetary anything associated with Bitcoin, right? Nobody knew yeah. what it was. It right. was just basically some, you know, curiosity. So just like that, I just, I left it at that. God knows where those Bitcoins are. That <laughs> server has been, that server has been reassigned a long time ago. But oh. um, yeah, so that was kind of uh, $600,000 I lost. I was uh, going to say, I was doing calculations <laughs> in my head right now. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. that's just sitting off somewhere uh, undiscoverable. Yeah, yeah. But I was still going through my immigration process and all that. So I did not have the luxury of, you know, kind of doing my own thing. Mm. So I, w- I just, you know, went back to my job and uh, didn't look into it until Bitcoin, you know, started catching some steam. And, you know, I bought a few Bitcoins on Coinbase uh, when it was like about $150 or something like that. Okay. And then again, left it at that, didn't you go back until 2017 when in Bitcoin was twenty thousand dollars, and I was like, right. "Holy shit, this yeah. is something, <laughs> something big, right?" Yeah. But that's when I got, got uh, serious about Bitcoin, and uh, you know, started looking actively into what I can do in crypto. So that's kind of my journey, right? And do you still have those Bitcoin in your Coinbase, or did you sell those? Yeah. So, so funny story about that as well, right? So, I I sold one Bitcoin out of that for twenty thousand dollars and bought mm-hmm. a bunch of altcoins, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, most of it stellar, at the value that stellar never came back to, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, two Bitcoins I just left in my wallet, uh, and and I forgot about them. I didn't. I thought I basically sold all three. 
But Thanksgiving last year, I was just asking my one of my my, my brother-in-law, in fact, like, okay, how do how do you buy Algorand? I was looking into some doing some project in Algorand. You know, where do you buy Algorand? And he said, oh, you can just do it in Coinbase. So I logged into my Coinbase account and I didn't see how to buy it. He said, no, no, you have to go to Coinbase Pro. When I went to Coinbase Pro, there were $120,000 of Bitcoin sitting there. I was like, holy shit, these are those Bitcoins I I bought back in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. So I just use those to basically do trading now. And uh, yeah, so I still have those. I have two Bitcoins out of three that I bought. Right. That's that's fantastic. What a nice find. To log into your <laughs> yeah. site and see you have one hundred thousand dollars that you didn't think you had before, yeah. Frank. What about you? What did what did your journey into Web three look like? Yeah, so my my journey into Web three started about a year ago when we launched this organization or we launched this company. I, I was doing quite a bit of experimentation with the different types of technology from a user interaction standpoint. You know, what is the process of getting a wallet set up look like? What is the process of purchasing an NFT look like? What is the process of purchasing cryptocurrency look like? And trying to understand like what aspects of that process or that user journey can actually be improved. So my, my approach to the technologies has always been from the perspective of somebody that's looking for problems to solve as opposed to a, a utilitarian approach or an investment approach. And so I, I was very much looking for, okay, what exactly, how can we make the user experience better with these different types of technologies? Because it's early on and, and we kind of saw that evolution happen with the internet very early on with AOL and the different types of early browsers that exist existed. There were opportunities to improve upon the user experience with those technologies. And I, I know that we're at about the same stage with Web3 technologies. So that was the the approach that we initially took. Yeah, what I keep thinking and telling others that, you know, we're in 1998, right? Something like that in Web3 world in terms of what it was like in, in Web1. And it's still very early. We've got a lot of stuff to figure out. I just recorded an episode before this about security and like scams I've been seeing recently because there's just so much out there that we, we still need to figure out. Frank, what was the first NFT that you bought as you started investing in the space? Yeah. So when I when I first started buying NFTs, I, I, I actually just bought a, a random NFT that was a one cent NFT. And I was just trying to learn how to transact, right? That mm-hmm. That very, you know, fundamental process of getting a wallet and buying crypto and signing up for a marketplace and attaching the wallet to a marketplace and going through that transaction. And what something that caught our eye was the complexity of this process of, you know, having to go through these multiple different steps to get to the point where you could buy the one cent NFT. And mm-hmm. what really blew my hair back was when, when I went to go buy that NFT, I can't even remember which one it was. It was just me trying to buy the lowest cost item there was out there was the fact that the, the gas fees were, mm-hmm. were something like $80 on that one cent NFT. And so that was that whole process of acquiring the NFTs themselves, even if it was a very, 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 very affordable NFT was both very, very expensive from a user time standpoint and and also a monetary standpoint from the perspective of the gas fees. So we started to dig deeper and deeper into the NFT space to understand, well, how can we bring it to the masses? How can we make this process easier? How can we make it the same as buying any online good? Mm -hmm. And how can we bring down the settlement costs associated with it, the gas fees specifically? 
Yeah. I mean, I haven't bought a one cent NFT, but I've many times experienced trying to buy an NFT for 0.05 ETH, you know, or like about $200 and seeing the gas be $120 and thinking like, okay, this is ridiculous. Or even buying something for 0.02 and gas of 0.03, like the gas is more than the NFT itself. I've seen that many times and it's so frustrating and you have to like either say, okay, I'm going to wait and hope that the gas comes down, or I am just going to build this into the overall cost because I think this is going to be, you know, valuable over time. Either way, it's not very satisfying, but like you've got to figure out a way to go forward. And obviously, I know there's a lot of people, including yourselves, who are trying to figure out a better way here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Rohit, what was your first NFT that you purchased? Are there any projects that you got into early on? No, actually, I did not get into a lot of projects. In fact, I missed out on many of the projects early on, which were pretty like lucrative. They would have turned into very lucrative investments. Mm -hmm. But again, just like Frank, I didn't look into NFTs as investments. I look at NFTs more uh, out of a utility, right? So we are trying to convince all our customers to to add some value behind the NFT, right? Okay. NFT can't just be art. Uh, I mean, it could be art, but yeah. these generative NFTs, which are just basically somebody selling 10,000 NFTs for you know $200 each, uh, which yeah. could be generated very easily, they uh, will not work out in the long run. Mm. You have to have some sort of use case behind it, right? Yeah. And use cases like we are working with a comedy club in New York, which basically uses NFTs as access. To the comedy mm. clubs, even asked access to their Discord servers where they're streaming these uh, comedy shows, right? Yeah. We are working with one of the companies in LA which sells skateboard art, right? So you have these three skateboards on the wall, which has the same art piece on, on the skateboards, right? Mm. But that art piece has a QR code or an NFS, NFC embedded in it, which can authenticate that it came from a real artist, mm. right? So those kind of use cases. We are working, also working with a very large retailer who is kind of trying to mint NFTs for limited edition apparel. So you, they would mint 1,000 NFTs for a certain apparel or a, a style, and whoever has these NFTs can claim those styles, right? So that adds yeah. inflation and transactionality. Even you can sell that NFT to on the secondary market. So those kind of use cases we are trying to unlock. But my first NFT came from a company called Neva does a search engine and they gave us a subscription as an NFT. Mm -hmm. So this was basically free. They just wanted to add users to their platform. Uh, but that was the NFT that um, I got from Neva. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, something I've been trying to figure out because I am all in on this future of like, I think all tickets to sporting events and concerts and conferences will be NFTs and you're going to see luxury goods come with NFTs attached to them. I like the idea of the skateboard with the art and then the digital art. And you can verify, yeah. you know, the authenticity. Authenticity. Sometimes they'll ask the question, like with things that are popping up now that are becoming NFTs, like why does this need to be an NFT? Are we overdoing it sometimes when it could just be like, I could buy a ticket to the comedy club on their website. What is, what is it? What do I get for having this in the digital world and being on the blockchain? Yeah, that's a great question, right? So first of all, the NFT and like, for example, an entry ticket to a comedy club are kind of interchangeable, right? Yeah. But that ticket can, may or may not be sold on the secondary market, right? Uh, the, the ticket price may or may not inflate. Uh, there are a lot of 
centralized platforms that you can do that where you can sell your ticket to someone else, for example, right? And that happens to Ticketmaster and things like that. But NFTs bring decentralization into this, right? Now you can do peer-to-peer transfer, peer-to-peer exchanges, right? You can have subscription as NFT. And again, that subscription right now, you can have through other subscription platforms. For example, if you get a subscription to a comedy club, you won't be able to sell that subscription to anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. That subscription doesn't go up in value based right. on rarity, right? Yeah. So that rarity can be added to that ticket or a subscription via NFTs that yeah. isn't available uh, using just tickets. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really valuable. Yeah, same thing as same thing with uh, real estate, right? Right mm-hmm. now, uh, you either are limited to you know investing in hundreds of thousands of dollars if you want to you know invest in real estate, but NFTs can kind of create those fractionalization of the asset and and you can create a $25 NFT or break that asset down into thousands of chunks and you can now buy a brick in a building, right? Yeah. And get yeah. Uh, in, do investments based on that using NFTs. That was not possible using just traditional investment right. vehicles. So you're saying break up an investment and create like a DAO or something where you can fractionalize and then everybody can buy a piece of it. Right, exactly. And that 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 piece can be easily transacted on a blockchain. That also gives you anonymity. You don't have to actually disclose who you are. Yeah. All these traditional platforms are so centralized. You have to uh, basically, you know, tell, give them your soul. Right. Uh, to 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 be able to transact on those uh, NFTs yeah. kind of take out all that and add the decentralization, which is one of the unique selling propositions of blockchains and NFTs. Yeah. I want to come back to the subscription or membership piece, because I think there is a lot intriguing there. I've thought about, you know, I live in Orlando, surrounded by theme parks. This idea that I think I got from somebody else of like, you know, Disney could sell like a lifetime pass for $30,000, right? Or even if you just get an annual pass, like you said, once you buy an annual pass, even if you get tired of it, like you've got that through the rest of the year, there's nothing you can do, right? You have an annual pass to a water park or Disney or a comedy club. But what if after six months, like, I don't really want to use this anymore. Someone else could get value from it. If you could actually sell that on the secondary market, someone else could continue for the next six months. And the original creator, whether it's Disney or SeaWorld or Comedy Club, would get 10% or whatever their their take is on the, the smart contract. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%, 100%. In some cases, you can even rent the entry, right? So you can just like do run the, I think it was rent the runway mm-hmm. where you are not able to afford it, but you can rent the clothes, right? The taxis from Gucci and uh, Ferragamo. Um, You can do something like that as well, right? Access to a very exclusive event, but I don't want to go. I can just kind of rent the renders, right? Uh, You can have an NFT for a really exclusive restaurant for Valentine's Day, right? Mm -hmm. You are not able to make it. You can sell that to someone else who will pay you premium for Valentine's Day dinner, right? So yeah, you're going to see people you know, like, go out and make like d- dinner reservations at every good restaurant on Valentine's Day and then go try exactly. to sell those on the secondary market. Yeah. And the restaurants would be able to just basically sell out, right? Every single time. They don't They don't care. Yeah, They don't have to worry about whether I will be able to sell out this, this year or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just sell it as NFTs and the secondary market takes care of uh, the, the demand and availability, right? So, I mean, if you think about it, pretty much everything can be converted into into NFT or at least a fungible token, right? Right. It's yeah. Fungible token. So it's it's such a fun conversation, Frank. What are you seeing, or what do you see as coming down in the future? You know, on like a macro level, that how businesses are going to be changing with with the use of NFTs. 
Yeah. So great question. You know, building upon what Rohit just previously mentioned, we really view NFTs as not just a revolution in ownership, but more specifically a revolution in in what's called securitization, right? The, the ability to take assets of value and turn them into securities and things that would have otherwise been too expensive to turn into securities can be turned into securities, right? So Rohit alluded to having a, a table at a restaurant that can be securitized and that can be made sellable and transferable to another party, right? Uh, customer loyalty points, airline miles, for instance, can all be turned into tokens, for instance, and then transferred to a third party. And what's equally important in all this is the fact that you can incorporate that smart contract technology Mm -hmm. into it, where the frauds that occur now with secondary market ticket transfers, where somebody sends the money to the seller and the seller doesn't send them anything back, mm-hmm. that can be eliminated by transacting via smart contract or incorporating crypto into the transaction, which mm. forcibly enables the transfer of the token itself. Yeah. So I, I think that you're going to see just a lot of different use cases where you know your airline miles, like I mentioned before, and customer loyalty points are going to be securitized and made transferable between parties with tokenization and NFTs, essentially. And everything recorded on the blockchain so you can see who got what, when, where it went, and, and all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's really, it's really fascinating where all this stuff is going. Okay, so... There's so much possibility here, and I want to get into what you guys are building. But before we do, what's the big challenge that you see in all of this? Like, what's the concern or what's the problem right now that we're trying to solve? Yeah, so I, I can highlight that. It, the, the, the exact problem that we're trying to solve is in the, the usability and adoptability of NFTs, right? There's a range of different estimates in terms of how many people have actually bought NFTs or non-fungible tokens, and it ranges somewhere between 250,000 to a half a million. Some people estimate a higher number than that, but the number of actual buyers of NFTs is relatively low compared Mm. to how many people, for instance, have bought crypto. There's over 150 million people that have bought crypto, but a much smaller number have actually purchased NFTs. And why is that? It gets back to what we originally talked about, you know, the experience that Rohit and I described in terms of first purchasing an NFT, where you have to go through this complex process, Andy, of getting a wallet and buying crypto and then signing up for a marketplace and then attaching the wallet to the marketplace, right? And then you find out that your gas fees are too high. And a normal consumer will give up at any step during this process. And the goal of Rohit and I's company is to make the purchase of NFTs as easy as buying any other good online. To make it as simple as transacting with a credit card and having that asset automatically transferred to a wallet that is, if you do not have one, generated for you. And all of this be seamless for the end consumer that's purchasing the token itself. So that's what's going to enable technologies like we're describing, like the ARC that essentially allows for transactions with traditional payment methods like credit cards. And then it allows for the automatic generation of a wallet for the end user. It's what's going to expand adoption of NFTs from a half a million people to 
you know, a hundred million people, right. Or allow large organizations to mint and distribute NFTs as a part of their interactions with their client base. And, and on top of that, not just for consumers, right? For sellers as well, for merchants as well, right? Uh, you would be able to sell NFTs on your traditional store, right? You'll be able to sell NFTs on Shopify, Etsy, WordPress, on your own site, list those NFTs in a corner, distant corner on OpenSea. We would help you list those NFTs on your own store, right? So our, our unique selling proposition is access to technology without having to deal with technology. I love it. Such a great opportunity there. That will do it for part one of my interview and conversation with Frank and Rohit from NFT Arc, which is changing the game in the NFT world to make NFTs available to more people. And in part two, we are going to talk more about what they are creating and what possibilities come from that and how they're opening up the world for more people to come into the NFT space. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you're not already following me on Twitter, make sure you go follow me there. My handle is Andy Storch, A-N-D-Y-S-T-O-R-C-H. I am tweeting about all things in career and life and especially NFTs because that is where NFT world lives on Twitter. So if you are learning about NFTs, you're trying to get into NFTs and you're not on Twitter yet, that is the place to be to find out everything that's going on in the NFT world. I've taken my eye off the ball on Twitter for a couple days at a time and missed out on all kinds of stuff. While I don't recommend being on there 24-7, it is the place to be, Twitter along with Discord, to really keep up with everything that's going on in NFT world. So make sure you're on there and you're following me and some other big names in the space like Gary V and others. And if you want to find out more about what's going on with me and my podcast, as well as get on the list to get our free guide to NFTs when that comes out, you can find out more information by going to andystorch.com slash NFT. That's andystorch.com slash NFT. Thanks again for listening to My NFT Journey. Hey, I wanted to take a moment to let you know that our podcast right now is sponsored by Voice.com. Yeah, Voice is an easy place for creators to create carbon-neutral NFTs. That's right. You may have heard about NFTs from the outcry around environmental impact and how much energy is being burned by Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies and NFTs and tokens traded on the blockchain. Well, Voice is 65,000 times more energy efficient than Bitcoin and 17,000 times more energy efficient than Ethereum. So if you're looking to create some NFTs very easily or buy some NFTs, especially low-cost NFTs, very easily with U.S. dollars and without burning lots of energy or impacting the environment, then check out voice.com. I am working on creating my own collection of NFTs on voice, and I've found so far that it's extremely easy. All you need is the right graphic, the right strategy, or what you want to create. Decide what you want to give to people when they buy the NFTs, and then go set it up. It only takes a few minutes. So go check it out, voice.com, and let me know what you think.